Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, my guest is Belinda. Now, Belinda works in Marwell Zoo, and she has a keen interest in conservation, more specifically on the conservation of birds of prey. So in this podcast, we talk about generally, you know, animals being endangered and breeding programs and things, as well as her work in Marwell Zoo. Um, We talk about a lot of the birds of prey, you know, eagles, uh, falcons, hawks, that sort of thing. And we also talk about sort of the extinction of some of the, some insects and things, including obviously bees. And we speak about spiders. Um, We also talk about creating our own zoo, uh, ivory trade, poaching, all these sorts of things. So, you know, it's very uh, animal heavy on this podcast. So if that's your sort of thing, then listen on. Now, before we get started, I've got a promo from Bro Honey. They have a podcast called um, Your Week in Stupid, which I really recommend to everyone. I think it's hilarious, um, where it's very, very not safe for work, uh, a lot of swearing, and really no punches pulled. So if you like that kind of humor, definitely check those guys out. Um, and then once that's played, it'll go straight onto the show. So um, I'll be back at the end to give more details and stuff. Be sure to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, especially Instagram. I post more content on there and give more context to a lot of things as well with pictures and etc so be sure to follow us on that and yeah i'll be back at the end hi i'm alex from your weekend stupid a comedy podcast where a group of friends explore the crazy and bizarre news from around the world each week plus we tell some of our own stupid stories so if you'd like to hear some stuff like this I know a kid um, that um, fell into a fryer at a, at a magazine. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. How do you fall into a fryer? Like, is he standing above the fryer? He was like, he was, he was, um, he was like part time in the in the circus with his family, and he had to like. Wait, 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 wait. He kept just going past his. And like this. The article I read on this said that the aubergine got so far up there it almost touched his lung. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Like I've got an x-ray, that. I've got an x-ray here. <laughs> but the thing is... <laughs> you just imagine that. <laughs> it's 30 centimetres long, that's like double the size of any eggplant I've seen. This, How I don't know what they're growing in China. do that? The human body is fucking amazing. And yeah, you know what, some of this. Hold up, hold up, <laughs> hold up, hold chaps. up. You're telling me that my fantasy of gimps of the Carib- uh, oh, yeah. gimps of the Caribbean Gim- is a thing. Of the Caribbean. It is absolutely a thing. You can go on a boat every year for the last 22 years. They've run a BDSM festival on this boat. You can find Your Weekend Stupid at www.brohoney.com and all our other fantastic shows, social media links, and all our information. Again, that's www.brohoney.com. Or search Your Week in Stupid on all major podcast apps. Don't become one of our news stories. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. So um, I've already started recording, so I'm joined today by Belinda, which is um, Wayne's sister, but in the intro, I'll, no doubt I'll go into details about all that sort of uh, tomfoolery, but um, thank you for coming on, I appreciate it. That's alright, thank it, you. Yeah, no worries. Um, so let's just kind of get a general idea, um, I want to get you on here because much like Wayne, you have a lot of interesting things to say and your uh, profession is uh, quite interesting as well, so what, what do you do essentially? Well, I work in Marwell Wildlife in the retail admission side for the time being, but my general goal is to try and get into the bird keeping side of it, generally with birds of prey, because that's been my passion for many years since college, and I want to try and spruce up the idea to try and save the species, as well as getting the public more aware of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what, um, what sort of piqued your interest of um, of sort of... Uh, essentially birds of prey like um from a young age did you ever do any falconry or anything like that or was it just a sort of later thing or i think it was sort of a later thing so when i started sparshot college we went to this little falconry as a trip and when they allowed me to hold one of their harris hawks i just fell in love with it because it was a majestic bird a true hunter with all these lovely talons and beaks and it was such an animal to be trained that it was so easy just to get a, a love for it yeah. And you just think there's so many birds like this that are dying and it's my job to save them. Mm, okay. What made you sort of start at Sparshot College then? Did you um, 
was it always a desire because that's a more vocational college for obviously people are from the local area um what were you studying in, in college and what kind of led you to that um i was studying animal management and um just the basics in level one to start off with so i wanted to just get the whole genre of like mammals and all the different groups together mm-hmm. and then as the years went on when you upgraded to level three that's when you had like um, aquatics and then avian which is your birds and it's throughout that they didn't have any birds of prey at spa shop but they allowed us to do things like the practical side as well as the theory side and the first time i started at the college i was into animals just in general mm-hmm. but then obviously like growing with the birds now i went to try and spruce that up a little bit more and then it got through level three graduated and now I'm just trying to find a job in the actual bird handling I see. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's quite it's quite entertaining in the way that sort of uh, your brother's obviously paleontologist in a sense. So he's like he's got the degree in paleontology, and he he's obviously into sort of all the animals and creatures that were extinct. And then you've also gone on the you went to a vocational college, and then you did animal handling and things. And then now you're going into falconry. It's quite it's quite entertaining the sort of parallels there between the two of you. Um, but yeah, I mean, so with that, what was before you kind of got into. Uh, the um, avian, how would you describe it? Aver, I'm terrible with these sort of things. Like avian animals was it? What? Yeah, the um, whole class of like birds is um, the avian class. So mm-hmm. their classification, you'd say yeah. class avian. I see. Okay. Yeah, and that's is avian. Is it canine, feline, bovine? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. See, I, I know little little tiny bits of things about animals, but some of it is just straight over my head. Um, with so with it then, before you got into so when you got before you got into the avian class, what what made you go into animal management? Was it just from a young age you've just always liked animals specifically, or yeah? Well, when I first started at um, the Chamberlain School, I mm. wanted to do um, animals in general, mm-hmm. like all of the animals all together. Yeah. But obviously, trying it in school mm. when they just teach you all the basic and normally human related, mm. you'd like this is getting me nowhere because they teach me nothing on animals. So once you go through that, you just went to like that day when they had the college interviews yeah and then as soon as you saw Sparshot you think this is the perfect college for anybody who wants to do animal courses yeah yeah I mean I've got um, there's a friend of mine who did a vocational course in Sparshot I can't remember what she was doing specifically but I remember her sending me pictures of her sick llamas or alpacas or something along those lines they had something some sort of creature like that that was there I remember her um, taking photos of and stuff that was quite adorable and um, my cousin Charlotte she's um her job now is actually she started her own company about um, uh, dog walking and things like that. But she went to Sparshot College because she wanted to be a veterinarian. Excuse me. And um, yeah, she wanted to be a veterinarian, but she ended up not going down that road because she said it was too painful to watch that animals. Like you have to put down animals and that sort of thing. And she said she's too much of a mess for that sort of thing. But with animals and stuff, it's I do I like animals. Obviously, I, I love them. I think they're great. Um, better than humans most of the time. But I'm. I don't know if I'd want to work with them specifically. I mean, with the zoos and things like that, like I'd really want to because you can get such a close attachment to a lot of them as well. But that's almost the crux of it. I know that I'd get so attached to some of these animals and a lot of them wouldn't feel the same in regards to me. Like the, the sort of, they don't reciprocate that. Like, um, like, do you have any pets at all? Uh, we used to, but um, they're all gone, unfortunately. I see. Okay. <laughs> Are you intending on, intending on getting any sort of pets in the future? I think when I get my own place, I might get like another little dog, and, mm. but never cats, so I'm not really much of a cat person. Yeah, yeah. There are certain people who are kind of more into cats um, or dogs. Also, if you're going to sort of avian studies and things of that as well, that cats are probably quite counterintuitive to that. Even though I imagine like most hawks and... Um, I wonder, do you think the biggest birds of prey here would be able to... I don't think they do, but do you think they'd be able to attack a, a, a cat? I'd probably say in this country, you'd be looking at something like your buzzard and your golden eagle. Golden eagle would definitely take a cat any day. Yeah. But a buzzard, probably for protection of its young, mm, if, yeah. it's, if it's going to attack a cat. Yeah, yeah. Because there's like, um, obviously I've seen, there's quite, is it peregrine, falcon? Um, are they in England? Uh, normally around um, Scotland area is a, a bit up country. Yeah. And there's uh, are kestrels in England as well? Yeah. Are they birds of prey? Yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm, I really don't know. I'm <laughs> sprinkling my very uh, vague knowledge about this sort of thing. But like I've seen, you do see birds of prey because my, my mate Alex Hart, he's really, um, he's really into. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. He's really into uh, animals and outdoorsy things, that sort of stuff. So he knows he can identify almost anything. Like, and um, whenever I drive to, he lives in Wales now. And if I ever 
go up there and see him. We're walking around. He'll go, oh, that's bird of prey. Oh, that's that. Oh, that's that. And he can just, and he points them out. And you can see a lot of the time by birds when they're circling in certain ways of how they, we can tell when they're sort of looking to hunt or about to swoop and things like that, which is really cool. Uh, do you have like a, a favorite in general of like a bird? <laughs> like, My favorite all time bird has to be the bald eagle. Yeah. It's just like every time you see it, it's like a symbol of power mm. and it's a beautiful bird. And it's one of those, I know people say it's a symbol of America, but it's also an animal that's come through almost near the brink of extinction back into least concern. So it's one of those animals that have basically just said, screw it to Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also there's a lot of things coming out now, which is more and more evidence supporting that... Um, a lot of birds, if not all of them, potentially came from dinosaurs as well. Of the whole, if all, if if the majority of dinosaurs were feathered as well, and then obviously once all these sort of extinction events occurred and that sort of thing, then like people say, uh, like a chicken. A lot of people I've been hearing are saying like it's basically just a mini dinosaur. Like a chicken will just peck and kill anything. Like if you put if you put like mice near like a group of chickens, they will rip it apart. They will they are brutal. Whereas you normally see a chicken, you go. Just eats a bit of grain, maybe a few bugs, and like they can—they're really vicious. But obviously, they're only like one, like, not even one foot tall, so so small. It's like, yeah, dinosaurs and things. Just trying to link it back to with the conversation with Wayne. <laughs> have you both on it? Have you have a sibling podcast? But um, yes, yeah, so with uh, with Marwell, then what um, if we get into so how you got into that job? Because um, obviously, you say you're, you're currently in the retail sector of Marwell. Is that yeah? Yeah, that's right. So what? Obviously, is that. It, why is that? What was that sort of? What do you do in that? Do you get to interact with any of the animals? Sort of, yeah, lay of the field. Unfortunately, I don't get to interact with any of the animals. When it's the retail admission side, I basically am in charge of like selling the tickets on the gates and then selling stuff in like the gift shop and maybe a few times face painting. Yeah, I like little kid. Yeah, but I find that my purpose in the job is as good as everybody else's because mm-hmm. I'm also just getting the money off the people. And also trying to upsell as much stuff as I can to raise awareness for the animals that are endangered in the zoo. Mm-hmm. So with Marwell Zoo, I'm um, obviously, I'm not expecting you to know everything thing about it. So if there's certain questions I ask you, you're not, not sure. That's completely fine. But so um, you were telling me before the podcast, has it has it always been a charity? Has it recently become one, or what's the sort of status of of it's sort of a, a general overview of what, what the status of the company um, is in general in the organisation, and then what it's doing, sort of thing, conservationally. I think with Marwell Zoo, um, a couple of years ago, it was just like a normal zoo and um, it had still had its like conservation donations, but it wasn't so much as like a charity unless it was like a couple, uh, two years ago, I'd say, it, mm. it became a charity. And okay. then that's when the whole gift dating started coming in. And I think that's why when you ask it for people, they get a little bit confused because it's not something that's been around for very long. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, with the con- do you know the reason why they decided to kind of make that change at all? I think they wanted to try and make it more of a charity-wise because then people have the option to give the donation and everything. It wasn't feel like it was being thrust upon them because hmm. if people feel like they have a choice to do it, it, they'll tend to do it more often. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that does seem to be... That's, that's pretty much ubiquitous with anything. It's almost... You tell someone to do something and they want to do the opposite. That's just quite... Yeah. Especially when it's with money and things as well. Yeah. Well, um, with Marwell at the moment... Do you, I assume you, you probably still get to spend quite a bit of time in the park, like even just when you're not um, doing sort of the, the duties of the job. I assume you'll manage, you walk around and see the animals, that sort of thing, quite a lot. Do you, your opinion on, on zoos um, in general, because I've spoken to a few people who have different opinions on uh, zoos. Do you think, obviously it comes down to the zoo as an individual basis, you know, I think Longley is quite a shining example in this, but like, do you find that zoos generally are beneficial for um, animals, or do you think it's... Would you think they're beneficial for animals or not? And we'll go from there. My honest opinion on zoos, like, I agree with the whole having endangered species, like, say, an armor leopard that's only a few breeding pairs left in the wild. Yeah. And trying to save them and bring them back to the brink of extinction. That I agree with. The only thing I don't agree with is having such lovely animals like that in small cages. Like, if I was to have, like, a zoo, it'd be something like in Africa, a massive safari, and have people, like, either patrolling it to protect it and still keeping up with the breeding program. Mm, yeah. Yeah, because there's quite a few things in um in Africa, for example, like um, one of the hot topics um, is uh, poaching. Well, obviously, if you have a safari with X amount, like, let's say 100 elephants in there, and they've got, like, a really wide, uh, huge miles and miles to, to sort of go around, but they're completely safe, is that idea of is that if they've got enough room to sort of uh, graze and that sort of things, 
would they be happier in a smaller area but no danger of poaching or other other animals likely to kill them or is it better to just kind of have them and leave them alone and i think as you say with some of the endangered animals it is it becomes a bit more complicated because yeah when when there's so few left if you have a leopard out there someone is going to try and kill it or it's going to die from you know all the sort of natural means and it is that hard line because there's certain animals where back going back 100 or so years ago or not even 100 you can go back you know 50 plus years ago even 20 30 when before the internet was so widespread and then obviously prior to that when tv wasn't so widespread and etc etc people could only really see animals by drawings if you go back far enough of just a drawing of an animal or you have to have loads of money and be able to go and afford to go see it and then zoos kind of came about and they started to conserve some of the wildlife and then obviously keep them so people could see it and it's that it's that sensationalism which can be some of the problems where people want to cram in so many animals into so many small spaces and it's just like would people really be happy like so when you get creatures like uh, cheetahs or leopards who can run so fast so far and then you have got them in a place where they basically can't even reach top speed of running because there's not enough space for them it, it can be a it's a gray area i find with mm-hmm. conservation of animals and things i do find it's a is a hard one because there are a lot of zoos because I've seen a lot of things on Longleat because I think they have that show on TV about Longleat where there's like a huge program behind them where they are one of the zoos that is trying to push forward and do all these sorts of other things of trying to keep things from extinction do all that sort of jazz does Marwell do that sort of thing as well do you know of if um uh, yeah. The only things I've ever been aware of in the Marwell breeding side is they breed all their big cats, so like the Arma leopards and the Arma tigers, which are the most endangered cats we got. Mm-hmm. And then um, sometimes they'll try and breed, like we've got two young white rhinos at the moment, and they're thinking of breeding those ones. Okay. Because obviously how rhinos are struggling at the moment. Mm. And I know that they're trying to get in touch with other zoos to try and spruce up the whole fact of other endangered species as well. Mm-hmm. Like with Chester Zoo, they got black rhinos at the moment. And now that black rhinos are extinct in the wild, it's more important for the zoos to try and spruce them up again. Yeah, yeah, I Same see. with our oryx. The oryx are extinct in the wild, hmm. and our main Marwell project is to get them back out as well. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. I mean, like with um, with a lot of the people who work in the zoos as well, do you find like most of them generally, I know you may not interact with all the ones that are animal handlers specifically, but do you find they're all quite passionate about with that sort of job it's not I'm working this job because I need money it's more so more likely that I'm working this job because I actually care about animals do you, do you find that's generally the way it is I find that yeah most of the um, keepers I've worked with I've met a couple of the hoofstock people and they have such a passion to try and save as many animals as they can because hmm. it's like last year we um we had like a baby wild ass but unfortunately the male got a bit um aggressive and he killed it and okay, so wow. many keepers were so upset because it was the first time in about 40 years we had like a wild ass born in the zoo and just a tragedy like that can change such a future in yeah. a minute that's yeah that's pretty dark and that's that's one of the things about the animal kingdom that like one of the arguments being um i'd like to get your two cents on hunting actually um in in general um you can look back to some of the other points with i brought this point up when i spoke with wayne as well um and it's regarding hunting in say uh, conservation more so america's sort of line of doing it of you know you get big grazing land you get people going there and killing deer um to keep the population down and then the amount of money you spend on it you get tags and then that money you make helps conservation are you generally more for that sort of thing or against it or what's your sort of opinion on hunting and that sort of how it can be beneficial to conservation or if it can how it can be damaging I kind of agree with um, that topic of like culling down animals for overgrazing because mm-hmm. we've had situations where you have one animal that's overpopulated and it will overgraze and then it will get rid of certain prey item which then leads to an extinction of a predator. Mm-hmm. So that I can completely agree with. Yeah. It's just the whole poaching for furs and black market. That's what I completely disagree with. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about kind of like the value of a life in a sense of what is it worth. And mm-hmm. if you look at it utilitarian-wise, you can say, okay, don't necessarily want to kill these 100 deer, but if we kill these 100, then these 1,000 are going to survive. And you know, one thing that got brought up in a podcast I was listening to where they were discussing this, which I hadn't thought of, is um, the, the way things die in nature a lot of the time is actually really unpleasant and really painful and awful like i'm um, not we should go out and kill everything because it's more humane but obviously like with a deer um for example you know they will get mauled by wolves or uh, other uh, predators and things like that or get diseased or eventually starve whereas you know there's that argument which is just an arrow or a bullet just 
if the person's trained right and they're doing the right thing and that sort of thing, it can be over immediately, uh, which can be beneficial. But then there's that, the thing of, uh, with, I think it's more so in Africa when you have trophy hunting. And so what's your views on, on sort of trophy hunting and then that sort of thing? With trophy hunting, I disagree with it because it's like somebody goes out and kills an animal. Yeah, what to do? You killed an animal. Mm. But now in that response, it's going to be lead there with leads in it, which then if vultures come along, that can then lead to lead poisoning in which you've just killed an endangered species. So really, you've gained nothing. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, with um, with a lot of the way these animals are obviously killed, if they're not, it has to be an organized way of doing things in a sense it has to be that be rules that specifically set because with uh i think it's lions they do it where obviously a lot of people like to trophy hunt lions and i don't agree with that i think you know when you kill an animal it should be either to uh, help the species or it should be as well as helping the species out of deer you kill a deer uses meat that sort of thing it it can be can be very helpful um or you can leave it there for the um for the rest of the creatures in the wild and things but with of trophy hunting of like lions and things, the meat, I, I don't know what lion meat is like. I, I don't think, do you know of anywhere that eats like feline meat, as in anything like that? I know that a few African tribes used to eat like lion meat, but I don't think it was very popular and because it um, doesn't really agree with like the human stomach. It, hmm. it kind of like bounds up really easily. I see. Because yeah, I don't know anything about, I, I just think, about, I just came to my head then that I don't think I've ever heard of anyone eating tiger or anything like that like you i've heard about quite a few other things being eaten like you get people who are like bears and they like kill bear meat and apparently bear meat can be quite tasty if um made in the right way and that sort of thing but it's with, with cats i don't think i've ever heard of anyone even killing and eating a normal cat then that question never seems to come up i think i mean i've heard people even cooking and eating like squirrel and mice and rat but I don't, yeah it must be obviously as you say it's, it doesn't agree with the human stomach but i'd never even thought about that like about eating cats <laughs> just it's really weird me thinking about it like eating like a lion leg uh, yeah it's like um the only thing i know that people do eat cats is um i know it's really sick but they eat the balls okay like in um chinese medicine they it's supposed to be really good for you hmm. but um i don't know if science are actually looking into it it's supposed to give like um your hormone hormones a little bit of a trigger mm-hmm. but in general of medicine it doesn't actually work to the point of what they're saying it should do i see Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, there's quite a few things like that. Um, I think there's a the venom or the sting from a, a certain type of wasp or hornet. It can be used to cure cancer. In, not used to be cure cancer. That makes it sound so grandiose. But there's parts within that compound which have a sort of effects on uh, the potential uh, recession remission of cancer and things like that. So it's all these parts of the animal kingdom of things that we haven't explored and haven't looked at. So that makes sense. And obviously, uh, I think the testicles contribute to uh, a body when um creatures have hormones that sort of thing obviously having testicles or ovaries and other thing, obviously other differences between the genders do affect hormones so eating the the genitals of a cow you know affecting hormones that does make that does make sense um yeah do you know what you said and you say some african tribes did you say that was yeah i'm not sure which ones they were but um mm. i know that a few of them used to eat things like um some wild cat some like gazelle and some bits here and there, but they do say that you have to cook it in the right way for it mm. to be a natural meal. Because obviously when you've got your big cats and they eat just protein, yeah. you probably get a few things from it, but I don't think it would be good eating it in a way as much as a deer. Yeah. Is there, is there any like an animal that you'd always like to try eating out of interest? I know that one of my friends in Australia, she tried kangaroo and that was supposed to be nice. But I don't know if I want to, only because there's like there's certain animals to be eaten, and then there's just animals that you don't really want a chance, hmm. especially with like all these monsters inside me things, all these parasites going around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that show. Yeah, that is some of that stuff is freaky when you get that sort of thing. We've seen like small things like um, obviously with that there's shrimp slash prawns, you have to sort of um take their sort of organs, their digestive tract out essentially, all skip out because there's a lot of the time there can be parasites in that as well, and it's. <laughs> gross to think about but it also is is scary I don't think I mean I, I've tried kangaroo meat um, it's alright well I, I had Iceland kangaroo burgers so obviously you don't know it it seemed it seemed quite uh, gamey in a lot of ways oh, right. um, so because I tried their venison burgers their 
ostrich burgers and their kangaroo burgers. And they were all good, but I found none of them were good as sort of the normal standard beef burger. Um, be like exotic. Have you, have you tried any crazy exotic animals of interest? Um, I think they got us to try some snake before it. Um, I think it was on our Scotland trip. They got us to try some snake. And it, to be honest, it just tasted like chicken. I couldn't taste any other difference between it. But it wasn't very filling either. It was probably like eating like a strip of chicken from a sandwich. That's pretty much it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've no, I haven't had frog legs personally, but um, I've heard that they taste like chicken as well. But I don't know if everything tastes like chicken. Who knows? Maybe it's like base. Maybe chicken tastes of nothing and everyone's in some sort of mass hysteria about it. I do love chicken though. But, um, with, so with the, uh, I'm a train of thought and it's kind of disappeared because I'm thinking about eating chicken and, uh, snakes and stuff now as well. Um, because we're talking about, um, conservation and sort of Marwell Zoo and things like that. Um, you were, um, you're currently, you, you were telling me before the podcast that you're doing some volunteering at the same time as well. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I've taken volunteering at this place called Falcon High, which is basically, um, one of those places that do either Winchester shows, school parties, or even weddings, where they just fly the birds in general. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much a place for retirement birds. So we, at the moment, we've got a peregrine falcon who's just come out of um, pest control retirement. Okay. So really, our place is just for old or um, birds that people don't really want, and we can just give them time to train for just the shows and obviously for little kids to understand them and everything. Yeah. I assume they quite enjoy that because obviously with them it's 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 their sort of their base natural instinct is to fly around, hunt, do this, that, and the other. And if you can sort of get them to do a lot of these things and then feed them for it anyway, it's probably it's probably very good for them rather than them just being kind of if they're quite old and stuff being kind of left to it. Because I imagine if they've been used for pest control, these sorts of other things, then they're too domesticated. Is that I don't know anything about birds, so like is from what your knowledge is, do you know if there is a thing like? Like, obviously, with a lot of animals here, like standard pets, like dogs, cats, these sort of things, if you just let them free, a lot of the time they'll end up just dying because they're domesticated. Are, are um, birds like that as well? Um, I'd probably say, like, when we first got Frank, we had the option to let him... They had the option to let him go. But when the owner came back to us, he said it probably wouldn't be wise because he's so trained to catch the pigeons, but just to drop them back to people, he mm. wouldn't actually go and eat them. Right. So if he had that mentality still, probably after a while, we would actually starve. Because he's see. been so trained with that behaviour, he wouldn't know any other behaviour to do. Mm, I see. So with pest control, what, what sort of... Obviously, you just mentioned pigeons. Is it is it generally like... Um, they kill flying pests or do they I know obviously birds of prey do kill things like mice and that sort of stuff but I didn't know they were used for pest control yeah um, sometimes um, in Wales and Scotland they have peregrine falcons flying around airports because mm-hmm. sometimes pigeons will get trapped in plane um, oh, what they call the, oh, the engines engines yeah, yeah. yeah and it obviously causes trouble so what they then do is hire someone with a falcon to come and kill a few pigeons every week or so and then that kind of um, makes it easy for airports and so it's like pigeons getting stuck in the engines and everything. That's really interesting, yeah. That is, I didn't think about that really. I mean, do you know what other sort of professions uh, sort of these birds have? Because apart from birds of prey shows, I'm not sure I've seen any of them uh, handled by humans. I think um, some other people have like, sometimes with our two Harris hawks we have, um, we sometimes use them for our own pest control as well. Mm-hmm. So certain farmers in Winchester will pay the person in charge of our falconry place to bring the Harris hawks and get rid of rabbits for him. Oh, okay. Because it's a it's a nature way of getting rid of them. It's not poison, it's not lead, and the Harris hawks can kill them easily and quickly and kill multiple ones of them in one day, whereas poison would only kill like one or two in mm. a night. Yeah, and obviously there's also that, that thing of all the other things that the poison can affect and kill. And uh, yeah, I'm sure, damn, I'm sure poison is very good for the ecology of the environment either. So yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, with um and with some of these birds and things, do you find like with dogs and cats, um, they have sort of general personalities, or do you find that it's more species wise is what where the personalities kind of come from? I think they are, they have their own personalities, like. Um, if the birds have been used in pest control, they're a bit more um, intimidating, more aggressive. So like with our falcons, you'd never feed them with your hands because obviously they've been trained to just strike it and kill it. Yeah. So we always feed them with that swinging thing that you sometimes see in hawk shows. Okay. And then with your smaller barn owls, because they've been so bred in captivity and tamed and everything, those would be the ones that you'd like to stroke and obviously handle. So all of them have their own personalities, but 
the ones that have come back from like pest control or even people that never used to fly them are a bit more intimidating with us. Hmm, I see. Are there any um are there any sort of with with the birds of prey and things, are there is there anything you know of that people basically steer clear of any animals that I imagine they're all trainable, but are there any that, over here where people just say we can't train them uh, like a species in particular or is it I know it sounds very crazy, but the snowy owl is actually one that we really? don't take. Only because you can train it but it's highly aggressive. So one day it could go so aggressive that it would actually attack its owner. Right. So wow. if you ever fly snowy owls like the Hawk Conservancy does, you have to be someone who's um, got them from a chick age and bred them and obviously trained them up from a young age and then they would be safe. But if you got them just from an adult, mm-hmm. they highly don't recommend it because they're just such aggressive birds. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's weird with birds. I mean, one thing with owls that I found, because owls are one of my favourite um, animals in general, really, especially um, the, the, I think it's the white barn owl. Um, but they're, the thing is with owls is they, they're very, very, I think I spoke about this in the podcast with Wayne and Josh briefly, but it's like their eyes are so huge that their brains are actually really small. So like they're, as far as intelligence wise, the owls aren't actually that intelligent as you think they are proportionally with their, their head size. Um, because so much of their sort of brain is used for the, I think it's the cerebral cortex, seeing with your eyes. Um, and then obviously they have such big eyes as well. It takes up so much space in their head and they can't actually turn their neck. And they can't look away with their eyes can't move anywhere. They can have to, like, that's why they can turn their head 360 degrees almost. So I think I, I love owls. I think owls are so cool. And they're nocturnal hunters and things. And they look so almost cute in a way. And then you see them hunt and they're just machines. They would just slaughter things. Um, so yeah, with, with the sort of the, uh, the falconry things, what, what do you want to uh, do? Like you're you're delving into that sort of profession, and you said you want to kind of help them out a little bit, in a sense. So, if you had like a game plan of the next five years, sort of example, sake, what's the sort of general goal here for you? General goal for me is to get into a place with the falconry, and first of all, get the word out to the public on what species need saving and mm. what species are okay at the time being, and then try and figure out a way to raise money to make sort of conservation sites like either breeding programs or protective sites which um let's say for example the marsh harrier with wetlands we're losing a lot of the wetlands so we could try and make one out of agriculture mm-hmm. and then just bring it up for a breeding site and then obviously get more word out to people to save it so keep it like protected with laws and welfare acts that kind of thing and then actually just try and get the list, like, see, like, IUCN red list where they got the panda from in da- from vulnerable to endangered, mm-hmm. so they increased it. Yeah. We kind of want to do the same with the birds of prey that generally need it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, so are there, are there quite a few birds of prey that are, um, susceptible in a sense of quite worn, like, there's reasoning behind that? Are there, is it because of deforestation or is there a specific cause or is it, yeah? Um, with a lot of birds of prey, it's either habitat loss or lack of prey, because mm-hmm. obviously due to habitat destruction, their prey then goes, and then the birds end up dying themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and obviously, especially when they lose a lot of their habitat as well, then I imagine, obviously, if you have a lot of... Do you, you might have like a certain area that's got a high concentration of this type of predator, and then obviously, as, as it's less spread out, as the habitat gets more and more destroyed, that the, this, the reach of where all these um, animals can be is made smaller and then the area is just smaller and smaller and eventually it's well there's barely, there's only a small area and there's all these birds and then they obviously have a kill the prey and then they, they start to starve or there's there's just too many birds to be able to handle it um do you find birds of prey from your knowledge of them um are very aggressive to each other because i think i think obviously it's weird that when you say about uh i think it's the eagle um not the eagle the, the falcons killing pigeons and things like that like what Oh no, pigeons are a bird of prey. But do other, do sort of the bigger the bird, or was it would just kill anything, including birds, or was there sort of certain birds that will kill only rabbits or something, anything like that that you know of? Um, I've known that a few bigger birds of prey, so like eagles, will actually kill some kestrels sometimes oh, wow, if okay. food is like very scarce. Mm. But um, one thing we always find as well is um, they kind of take advantage of each other. So um, one time they had in America when an osprey had to fish. The sea eagles would then like intimidate it and like trying to knock it out of its talons, and it will use that to their advantage. Mm. So they'll either will kill smaller birds than them size, or they'll actually just steal their food from them, and that's where competition comes a problem for the smaller birds of prey. 
So with um, have you been to sort of many other zoos and things like around the UK or around the world at all? Of just the only other zoos that I'm aware of, uh, I've been to Edinburgh Zoo in Scotland when I went on a Scotland trip, mm-hmm. uh, Highland Wildlife Park, the Isle of Wight Zoo, Amazon World, and I think it was um, Chessington Zoo. Okay. But the one zoo I do want to investigate is Chester Zoo, because that's got its massive breeding program and a real good um connection with us at Marwell as well. Okay, yeah. Um, so with um, uh, obviously you said a thing earlier in the podcast that obviously a lot of what Marwell's trying to do, especially with the breeding programs, is trying to uh, collaborate with other zoos to kind of bring the animals numbers up and things. I mean, I've been to. I assume have you been to Longleat as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've been to Longleat, Marwell, and then all the others that you named. Um, well, I assume you've been to Marwell because you work there. Um, I've been to I've been to a couple of them. I've been to Drusilla's Zoo, which I th- I think. I can't remember exactly where that is, but it's still the south of England and things, but they have like a lot of lemurs and that sort of thing as well. So I do love lemurs. Um, with like animals, for example, um, obviously you said about owning a dog. Like, would you, if you could choose like any animal to own in the, in a zoo, like what would you sort of have that of interest? Um, if I was to have a zoo, I would have it like Amazon World has, where all of their species are endangered species. Mm-hmm. That way, it's getting people to know that all of our species here are endangered. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that need saving. So if you want to adopt or save them, you mm-hmm. can have the option. And you don't have to worry about money just going to an animal that doesn't need it, like giraffes and meerkats, <laughs> say. Yeah. It's funny with meerkats because meerkats are so popular a lot of the time because obviously they compare the meerkat adverts and everyone loves them. And I've been to quite a few meerkat feeding things, but yeah, they're not they're not endangered creatures at all. They're doing quite well for themselves. So what um what sort of endangered uh, creatures have you got in mind that sort of that you know of that are quite? I know I know a lot of sort of rhinos and things. Obviously, a lot of the time the ivory have got um, issues because of poaching, and obviously a lot of the big cats due to poaching as well. So are there sort of other ones that you can think of. Um, I know that the it's either the three toed or the two toed sloth. Uh, I'd like to get one of those in because I know they're quite endangered. There's um, a couple of like in, your insects and your arachnids that you would like to save. Yeah. And I know that there's a few birds of prey. There's mostly the Philippine eagle. I absolutely love that bird, but there's only like 20 breeding pairs left because it's so restricted. And I would actually love to get like a whole genre of things like your mammals, birds, reptiles, and also fish and everything. Because then it spruces it up a little bit, and it's not controlled with just one certain range of animals. I see. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I didn't realize insects. Uh, that many insects were endangered. Are there any that you can think of off the top of your head? Um, can't remember it off by heart, but it's like a uh, a bush cricket or something. It's the only cricket I know of that's quite hairy, and it lives in the Philippines. And there's only like a couple. I think it's on the critically endangered list. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I see. That's that's pretty mad. I mean. I didn't realise with it. I mean, with insects, I didn't realise they almost took stock of that sort of thing, and not not they shouldn't because I think insects are generally. I mean, they deserve right to live as much as anything else does on this planet. But yeah, I didn't even think about insects being endangered. I don't think I've even ever really heard about it. I mean, I think I think you said that this year that some of the ladybirds are a bit scarce because I think some of the ladybirds that are coming in from other countries or something they're basically kind of eating some of our ladybirds i don't know if you know anything about that i've, I've heard that in passing i'm just know little bits of everything and don't know any details about anything yeah it's um same with the ladybirds and the same with our bees as well the australian bee has been nuisance because it's come over our country and it's out competing our na- native bumblebees mm-hmm. so every time you see a bumblebee with an orange butt you know that's the australian one not one of our native ones right okay yeah, I didn't know that at all. I, I knew I knew it did with the uh, ladybirds, but I didn't know with bees. It's 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 one of those things with. Um, I assume you're probably on the same page uh, with Wayne on the whole um, the climate change issue and that sort of thing of that sort of mindset of we want to try and save the world by not destroying everything, and then also if we one thing that people don't think about when they are destroying the environment and they go oh we'll, we'll be fine we'll just deal with it later or humans will survive. It's like the amount of change that's happening that is affecting uh, animals is just it's, it's horrendous. It's, it's like, so do you have any thoughts or strong opinions on that? I kind of think like we're digging ourselves a hole here because mm-hmm. like if we grow to like get rid of all the animals on this planet, say like if we got rid of our bees for one, if bees went extinct, it's actually been proven that the human population would die out in a few weeks because obviously there's nothing to pollinate the flowers. We don't get food and the, our animals that we eat don't get food. We die eventually. And there's also, like, say, like, you had certain herbivores and predators. Um, they've been on the planet for several years or so. If we got rid of those, the planet would eventually have nothing to sustain it. So, mm. like, 
vultures, they are mostly important for getting rid of carrion and getting rid of diseases in Africa. As soon as they're gone, Africa is going to swarm with disease. That will spread globally. And then that's the population gone. Well, yeah. It's it's a fragile balance of us and nature. that We like to think that because we're the ones who are in control specifically that we... We're in general idea of control, but we are kind of more... We have the biggest impact. We're not actually in control. It's more... We can cause the most damage and do the most good because of our sort of conscious nature mixed with technology, both for the good and the bad. But it is a weird one with... If we basically... You can take out certain creatures out of the sort of ecological system and it will... It'll mess up everything. As you see, bees, I've heard a lot about bees. I think they pollinate like 90-something percent of everything. I think wasps do a few, but the amount that wasps do is so incomparable to the amount that bees do. Um, I think it's like one or two specific uh, sort of species of wasps just kind of do it occasionally, and I don't think they do it in the same way that bees do. I think bees communicate with the plants through, um, I think it's a sort of electromagnet uh, communication that way. I'm terrible with this sort of thing. Do you know anything about that? I think it's like um, colour coding, so it's like um, the pheromones that are released from the flowers and they can like um, detect. And then sometimes when the bees find flower patches, they send out pheromone signals to the others. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, pheromone signals, that makes a lot more sense. I know with like uh, wasps and hornets, when they sting you, um, it leaves the pheromone telling uh, other things in the area, you should attack this thing because it's clearly an enemy. And that's one of the things that I tell people if you, if you have like a wasp or hornet in your house, try and get it out, try not to kill it. Because if you kill it and squash it, then the pheromone can get released and then people nearby, they're like, well, people, wasps and hornets nearby, they can, they send that, they, they sense the, uh, the pheromone and then they're like, okay, let's go over here because clearly something killed something of ours. We'll go investigate to see if there's like an enemy we can handle. Um, but it's not when you're saying about bees as well. One thing I remember seeing, uh, on YouTube was there was, I think it was a hornet flew into like a beehive and the, uh, I can't remember what type of bee it is, but they all climb over it and vibrate and they do the heat. Uh, thing. Yeah, it's um, on a David Attenborough show. Um, I can't remember if it was Life in the Undergrowth or like um, Life on Earth, mm-hmm. but it was like a scout hornet, and I think it was honeybees. What they do is they swarm around it and, like you said, vibrate, and they cause so much heat that they actually burn the hornet alive. That's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's made mead mad. Yeah, I mean, with them. Um, so, with a lot of the other animals that you work with, are there any sort of? I know that some of the avian classes are some of your favourites. Um, what are? Are there any other animals that you should really think are great? Just a really cool top-of-the-line animals? I think what I really like, I know it's really weird coming from a girl, but it's, I actually like spiders and all that. Okay, yeah. Because I just find them so interesting. And there's not little information that's been taught about them. Even with the whole um, put a chestnut in your window and it keeps the spiders out, mm-hmm. you think, well, is anybody actually researching this? Or does anybody care to research it? Yeah. It's just one of those things that get left aside and you think, well, you know, let's do this. Let's get an animal that no one actually cares about and get so much information about it hmm so what sort of things about spiders do you know of that um you think are quite cool um sort of their hunting techniques so uh, you watch on david attenborough and it's amazing there's like a net casting spider which will fold a web in its front legs and actually catch the fly by just throwing the net on it oh wow and then you've got your bolus spider that kind of swings its web round and then throws it like a lasso oh okay that's amazing so all of their different hunting techniques, and the best thing about it is they never get taught it. So where does that behaviour come into tact? And it just amazes me that something that small is intelligent to make like a web of its own without even the slightest bit of tre- teaching. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know with um, with spiders. I think the insect world where they're young, they basically think they're quite. They're not very maternal or paternal. I think it's kind of like the young kind of basically exist and then leave almost in a sense i know that with mosquitoes for example they just lay their eggs by a normally by i think by lakes and things and then they take the females take human blood to feed to the not just human blood but other animals blood as well but when they bite us they take the blood to put it on their young's uh, larva and things and then the blood seeps through the eggs essentially and feeds the larva or something that's layman's terms i think but um with spiders and things i mean a lot of people get worried and freaked out by spiders but like they kill so many creatures like in in this house for example we have a few um spiders in some of the corners actually you can see cobwebs um and people before have said there's not like loads there's not like people who obviously are only listening they can't see there's not spiders everywhere or anything like that there's just one or two um in maybe each room but i never want to get rid of them because they they do kill flies and things like that and with with the spiders as well i, I remember 
Like a lot of people are terrified of tarantulas. Like, would you ever want to? Have you ever held a tarantula or stroked one, anything like that? Yeah, I've held a tarantula before. It's the weirdest thing because it's so light, but it just feels like these tiny little finger bits going over your hand. Mm. But you have to be always aware because if you start shaking your hand, obviously they're so sensitive and blind, they'll take it the wrong way. So when you do handle one, you just have to be absolutely calm and try to keep your hands as steady as possible. I know when people like have really shaky hands, probably not wise to hold one. I see. Okay. Are when you are they um are tarantulas then uh is it tarantulas or spiders? Are they all um got quite bad vision or is it just specific ones? I think it's um all spiders in general. Like they um obviously they have eyes, but they don't have the best vision for when it's coming to like getting their food and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like we've uh, me and Wayne recently discovered that how they smell. They've got these little tubes on the end of their legs, and that's actually how they smell as well. Oh really? So that's why they put their front legs out in their web and their plus feeling for vibrations but also smelling at the same time wow. so mostly it's smell and vibration that is their keen senses but the eyes are just there for well they're not even there for a reason to be honest yeah well it's a bit like sharks isn't it i know sharks have got atrocious eyesight and obviously their main thing is their smell um i also know that this isn't obviously a uh, predator but like flies i think they taste with their feet or something like that and i, I think they spit out they almost puke on their food and they basically guzzle it back up again, which is gross and horrendous. But is there a spider that does something similar to that? That wraps up its prey and then spits acid down its through its mouth or something? Um, it's sort of like digestive enzymes. So um, when they um, bite them with the venom, that obviously kills it. And then once they start eating it, they'll spew out digestive enzymes to like, mush up the meat. And that's how they can like soak it up like a liquid. That's gross, but amazing. Nature is so cool. So brutal, but so cool. Um, with um, Would you ever want to own a tarantula then? Or did someone own a tarantula when you were younger and that kind of got you into it? Because a lot of people are normally just like, no, thank you. I used to have a friend at school that used to own a tarantula, but I don't think I'd own one myself, only because they're so complicated to take care of. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Reese, he was, he was talking about getting one at one point, but he said he looks into it and it's like, a lot of people don't know if you drop a tarantula only a couple of feet, you kill them. Um, and... People often freak out about trances, but I think they're quite generally sl- slow moving, especially compared to other things that are that size. Whereas, like the um, the English house spider, I think that's like the fastest spider in the world, excluding one that can basically cartwheel. Have you seen that one? Yeah, it's the golden wheel spider. There you go. So you know about that. That and um, I think yeah, the yeah the standard running speed is like the the British house spider is like one of the fastest. So, yay. Um, when you um you mentioned before we were talking about like false widows and things like that, like do you know much about false widows or black widows or how they, why we've suddenly got an outburst of them over here? Um, as far as I'm aware, I know that false widows have like come over from like ships and planes on like the fruit collection that every spider normally comes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's happening now is that we did have false widows in the UK naturally, but they are the non-venomous ones. Mm-hmm. So now we got ones that are venomous. It's really tricky to tell the two apart. What I always find is that every widow has the sort of P-shaped abdomen, mm-hmm. whereas our native UK ones will have a slight pointed edge to their abdomen. Right, So okay. always don't go by just their colour markings. Always go by the shape of their abdomen as well. Because mm. obviously every species has different characteristics. And same with the black widow, it may be almost like, exactly like the false widow, but it has different coloration, different hexagon-shaped markings on its abdomen. Mm. So it's always trying to find those characteristics to pick out which one's come into contact I see yeah I just generally try to stay away from most of them if I'm being honest <laughs> I was like well if they're not bothering me then I'll, I'll probably live um, with working in a zoo and things like that like if you could have any job in the zoo specifically as in I know you're you're looking into sort of aviation uh, well, aviation uh, the avarian class animals no experience uh, was an issue or anything like that would you then just be an avian handler or would you sort of want to diversify and do other things like what is what would be the ultimate goal? Like I know you said previously, but you do want to help cons- um, conservation and things. But is that is it just a, you want to go for the avian class because that's the one thing you're more specifically uh, either concerned about conservationally, or is it due to the personal interest of it being the animal, being the uh, the birds, and then kind of yeah, that <laughs> I explained that very badly. The best thing I'd like to do. Um, this might be like loads of years in time. I'd like to start off with the birds and be like a bird handler for a few years. And then I'd like to do just different subjects. So maybe mm. like um, entomology and insects and then go to mammals and then maybe even fish and aquatics. I'd actually would like to spruce myself up with different species. 
because then that way you could have like the whole conservation but with different bits in total as well and then you could say at the end of my life i'm 60 years old i've saved this amount of species i'm happy i see is there something that specifically sparks this intrigue in saving the animals um most of it was from david Attenborough, seeing so many of his shows and seeing how far he's come with um getting all the tv shows out and all the stuff he passionately put into it it's just um raised awareness of like how many animals we are killing a day and just somebody else to help David Attenborough kind of spread the word, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe you could be the next, it could be the next David Attenborough. Maybe we'll see you in the line, 10 years down the line, you'll be working for the BBC and uh, that'd be awesome. If you do that, I'd love to come and see it. That'd be so good. <laughs> but uh, with, I mean, I do love David Attenborough. He's a national treasure, obviously, when he passes away, which I imagine will be in the next decade or so because he's really old. Um, it's going to be a, a tragedy. But the amount of people he got into, uh, sort of nature and things like that, I mean, it's changed generations of people sort of getting into that sort of field because he makes it it's not just him obviously there's a whole team of people behind him as well that do it as well but he's kind of the the face and the figurehead of uh, the sort of BBC I mean I don't think I know of really apart from there's a few people who do like Walking with Dinosaurs and a few other things but are there that many others who do present uh, wildlife shows in Britain? Um, in Britain I know that there's um, a guy called Chris I can't remember his last name but he did um, the world's deadliest predators oh yes i've heard of that and and then there's that spring watch that um, my friend watches with um those three people i can never remember their names yeah but they do like um just uk species in general okay and then it's more like um if you've got like survival shows like oh, i always forget their names but you've got like other survivalists but chris is the only person i know that does like other animal shows in the uk mm, yeah um I mean, I, I think I'd love, uh, I'd love personally also to do that as well. I mean, going around and seeing all the sort of the crazy animals and all the things. I mean, it makes me think like how much, let's try that sentence again. One of the things that I imagine you found when you were learning uh, more so about animals is that almost everything that you learn about them, you kind of learn one new fact about them. Then you learn a hundred things that we have no idea about. Like, did you find that that was the case generally when you've been, as you've been kind of learning more about creatures? Yeah, like, um, the first time I started off in college, I've learned so much about certain species, it's, like, blown my mind. Mm. And sometimes you learn all all this good stuff, and then you learn all your stuff that kind of puts you off them. So, like, they're so unpredictable, and all their behaviour could just change instantly. Mm. It just surprises you, because the amount of things that you learn from college, and then you're learning of today that they're discovering new species, yeah. it's still going on. That's what intrigues me. I see. Are there any things that, um, any sort of animals that you had a, a, th- a sort of thought about and then you, you either looked more into it or you came into contact with them at the zoo or anything like that and it changed your perspective on them at all? I kind of had one, it, it was the most randomest thing, but um, I had a b- book that was given me as a birthday present of World's Strangest Creatures and there was something in there called a blobfish. Oh, okay. It, it's the freakiest looking thing you've ever seen, but I I went and studied it, and unfortunately, because it's such a rare fish, not much information has been on it. So you think to yourself, a really strange creature like this, and I never even knew about it until this day. Mm. I think I've seen a picture of the blobfish. I think it's it's like a, almost like a human face melted, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that. Yeah, I remember. I mean, you go. Um, I think me and Wayne and Josh talking about this, but like you go quite far down to the ocean. Like you, you go. I know the blobfish isn't necessarily deep sea, but you go deep sea with some of the the creatures in the ocean, and they are terrifying. Like some of them are just like aliens almost. They look so terrifying. But um. So obviously avian being the the key thing, but is it, as you said, you want to delve into some of the sort of the other, um, I don't want to describe it, areas of uh, animals, I guess. Um, you had you have the avian and stuff. Like, Have you looked much into marine and things? Like did you used to go to aquariums very much or in your sort of animal management studies at Sparshot? Were there many things to do with marine as well? Um, not a lot. Um, obviously there was a class with like aquatics, but that mm. was more of your fishery stuff. Yeah. So obviously when we went to animal management, there was one side that was just fishing. So people would be taught how to fish, how their sharks and rays come into contact. And then obviously you had your farming department, which is your cows and your pigs and everything. So each one had different departments. But unfortunately, when you're at Spa Shot, you can only do like one for each year. Mm. And that's what makes it the tricky bit. They don't actually go into each department or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, more of an overview. Well, what does animal management actually teach you of interest? Like, what sort of things do you learn in animal management? Um, animal management, you learn um, your basics, like your animal husbandry, um, animal feeding, the biology, and then sort of like characteristics of certain ones and adaptations. Mm-hmm. So that would be your domestic and wild. 
Then you'd have like your practical animals where they got kennels, cattery, birds, rodents, small mammals and exotics. And um, when we got to level three, that's when they started taking us into the farm bit for like cows and pigs in case you wanted to work in a zoo. It'd be something for like almost like a buffalo and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Only problem with that is because these are such domesticated animals, it kind of defeats the point of an actual buffalo if that makes sense yeah yeah i can understand that i see so and with um is there anything specific that you uh you learned that you can uh, think of off the top of your head from uh, animal the animal management sort of side of things that would actually be is actually really helpful would be notable for anyone else who isn't sort of delving into that yet uh probably the most thing i learned it was um quite a gory one it was um we were d- dissecting piglets. Okay. I mean, the first one I had was a stillborn and nothing was formed. So we had to get rid of that one. Yeah. And then once um, our lecturer kind of like showed us the inside of it, she um, did something horrible, like cut it open its trachea and she kind of showed how like the lungs work for a pig. Oh, wow. And uh, she got this, this tube thing and just breathed into it. Obviously, didn't breathe back. It, yeah. She would have swallowed blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... I've seen just like how the pig's lungs work compared to a human's. It's quite different because obviously a piglet, it kind of can like contract a bit faster because the muscles are a bit different. But just seeing that, you just think to yourself, it's quite amazing to see an actual inside of an animal as well. Instead of just learning about it, it's better to see it with your own eyes. Mm. There's um there's actually a museum um in Amsterdam which I haven't been to but I'm I'm going to have Sam late this year that I want to go to um I'm going sorry late this year and I want to go to this museum because uh, two of my friends just came back from there and went there it's called I think it's Body Works and what it is they've basically got um uh, humans which they've preserved in certain conditions I don't know the specifics but they basically cut a lot of them in half as in so you can see things on the inside yeah i know it's crazy so like there's one that i was being uh spoken about uh where it's got someone's face and you've got their whole head and they basically cut the head off and then cut it in half like down the nose and then you they put the head next to itself um one part facing forward and the other part 90 degrees so you can actually see the details of all the uh insides of it and they've done that with there's one which was two people having sex and they, they basically, yeah, and they basically sliced down the side of that so you can actually see what's going on. And there's one which was, um, it's because the piglet thing made me think of it. Um, there's one which is obviously it could be, if someone saw this in real life, it could be a, a trigger warning, but it was of babies in, uh, different fetal, uh, stages. Oh. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's called the Body Works Museum, uh, and it's, it's human, actual human things in there. So it's, and you can see, um, Reese was telling me, um, they, they, there's a brain there where it's got all the nervous system coming out. So you can see everything. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's mad to be able to see that. And I was thinking like the brain seeing that would be so weird. Like you're looking at it and your mind's going a bit, yeah, something wrong here. Cause the brain never should really see the brain in theory, you know? Um, and he said there was a few others as well. He said there was one that's uh, one of my things. Not many things cringe me out or get me grossed out in that that many ways eyes i'm not a fan of thing horrible things happening to eyes but um kidneys for example like uh, i can eat and i'm gonna try and eat like a lot of different food a lot of variety but when it comes to offal you know uh, the organs of animals i'm not that keen on them but kidneys i can't like, if i look at a kidney and i if you oh, try put a fork in a kidney on a plate and it'll, it makes my kidneys and my stomach feel awful and um, he he saw this thing which was it was a male genitalia and it had it connected to the bladders and connected to the kidney like fully out like you could see it all and it's oh, it's crazy I, I really want to go there and see that sort of thing i think it'd be really interesting to see that of lots of other animals as well like how different things work because i know that pigs the uh, internal biology of them is is quite similar in a lot of ways to humans i think they're talking about even doing transplants or something from uh pigs do you know anything about that at all um not a lot there's uh more in like the farming things i know they were thinking of like doing transplants with um certain pigs but i'm not sure what they're actually going for yeah yeah i wasn't fully sure either. i think i've just heard sort of whispers and rumors about uh that sort of thing as well um but yeah, I mean, is there, is there anything else you'd um because we're kind of up to the, the sort of hour mark now? Is there anything else you'd like to like with the conservation things or with the uh, Marwell? From what you know about that, as we kind of wrap it up, what sort of things are Marwell? The money that we pay to Marwell, uh, where would that sort of go in a sense? What would it do, and why do you think it's uh, one of the things people should be doing essentially? I think that most people in general should be like thinking further into the future. Like, if they want to save species, they should. Like, so many people will boast that they love tigers. Mm. Well, then instead of saying it, 
start doing something about it because mm. if we don't do something soon all of the animals are going to be gone and pretty much the humans will go along with them mm. and that's what people te- seem to forget so in all i really want to say is from this is to try and get as many people to save the animals and just try and start giving them this the respect they deserve because mm. they've been on the planet longer than us they deserve it a bit more. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And so, w- with that in regard as well, what is your opinion on um, two uh, things? Which is uh, human intervention with uh, the breeding programs. So, with uh, one example, I like to use pandas. I love pandas; they're great, but they are terrible at mating. If we just left them to it, they'd be extinct. So, like, what's your opinion on sort of that side of things? In, in like, should we try our best to kind of save everything, or should it be, yeah? Unfortunately, I know it sounds very harsh, but if it's something that's not really benefiting to the ecosystem, or if it's like something that just won't breed in general, there's nothing physically we can do about it. Mm. So I reckon the animals that aren't willing to adapt and survive, um, just let them go naturally. Mm, But I'd rather them go naturally instead of like the black rhino where they've just been shot all to death. Mm, Yeah, because I think, yeah, I remember hearing about... As you said, obviously, the black rhino earlier, um, we mentioned that. And I saw online there was a thing which was basically saying there was one male, I think, left in the world or something like that. And it was basically like one male left that wasn't sort of in captivity, essentially, in the world. And then I remember seeing pictures of it having like like people around it, like armed guards, like trying to stop poachers from getting it because people were just so selfish. And there's been a couple of times where was an elephant, I think, I saw a while ago where... I th- I think someone killed an elephant and they basically cut off like a few inches of ivory and they just left it. And it's just like, you didn't use the meat, which elephant meat apparently can be quite good for, especially a lot of people in Africa. You know, if you're going to kill an animal for ivory, I strongly disagree with the moral decision, but you don't take a tiny amount of the ivory. You take it all. If you're going to unfortunately do something that's unpleasant, you have to try and utilize it all and things like that. So it's, it's I agree with you in the sense that we should, we should, you know, try and help uh, sort of other animals as well, but, the amount of poaching and the other things that it's like I think the line is when we when the humans are directly the cause of the uh, endangerment then we should intervene in the sense of stop doing that we need to help but when it is certain animals which are just like you know the panda just kind of leave them to it in a sense and um, well, I think probably the only thing I'll ask uh, the final thought I think I've got really is um, with creatures that have already been extinct for example the woolly mammoth and um, what are your opinions on if they would bring that back like are you for or against that sort of thing i'd be against it only because they went extinct for a reason um mm. they were adapted to cold climates and their actual grass was different and all that kind of stuff it's like say if they brought the tasmanian wolf back um they would have no land for it they would end up killing livestock and it would just be back to square one being overhunted again yeah well with um so with dinosaurs for example works a nice jurassic park question would you for research or human entertainment purposes uh, obviously granted if we ignore the catastrophic uh, things that happen in every single film um, would you be um, with like dinosaurs because no one had ever seen dinosaurs obviously woolly mammoths would be awesome to see but they are basically just really big elephants with fur on but with something that's so different as a dinosaur are you still in the mindset of rather not bring it back because it's gone for a reason or would there be certain exceptions where you'd almost like to see some I probably have something like um, like the Galapagos Islands used to be. If mm-hmm. there was an island where it was restricted, that no human could ever go there, and if they were, they'd be shot on sight, I'd put dinosaurs there. Yeah. Because then you could have like satellites to see them, mm-hmm. but people wouldn't actually go on the island to risk their lives. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that line of, um, as we touched on earlier, it was the zoos used to be kind of important for people to learn about animals because you couldn't you didn't have the internet. But now when everyone's got, like you can just Google name of an animal and video and you I don't think there's any animals I've ever looked up which I haven't found online I mean they basically get footage of everything now so uh, yeah I think it's zoos are an important thing for the conservation side of things and that I think yeah, as you you said earlier with wrapping it up it's kind of like zoos can be important as long as the animals are in good conditions obviously it helps it creates jobs for people which is really good and it is an entertainment thing which humans do generally need uh, as well as being educational but it's it is the fine line because you do often see certain big cats i think are the main issue which unfortunately they are one of the ones that are getting poached the most are the ones that have got such small cages they just look miserable but then you let them out and they get killed because people ruin things mm-hmm. so um there's one other thing as well uh, actually i just remembered which was owls um 
Do you know about the eye colour thing with the variance in eye colour? Yeah. Do, go, you could say that then because I don't know the. I remember it vaguely, but like. Yeah, as, um, as I've been in the Valkyrie, I've learned about three types. So mm. your bar now that has all the black pupils, you know that they're fully nocturnal, so they're built for light flying in the night and hunting in pitch black. Mm -hmm. The ones that have orange-like eyes, they're more for like dusk, dawn, just before the sun rises. And then you've got your ones with the yellow eyes that hunt during the day. Yeah. And I remember because I was... um. I went to a zoo in Cornwall. Um, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but there were dinosaurs in there as well. It was like a dinosaur park sort of thing. It was quite cool. Not literal real dinosaurs. I want to clarify people. It was like, uh, it was when you go to Potton's Park or something, you walk through, there's loads of, uh, things, dinosaurs, and some of them are like got, uh, animatronics and things. And they had, um, a little facts and things around. And I remember seeing on a, on a plaque thing and it said, yeah, yellow day and then orange dusk and then black night. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Just uh, like it's quite nice for once with nature, where it's like it's almost yellow is easy to remember because of the day, orange evening, sort of black night. So I remember seeing that and being like, "That's really cool." I just I remember that just as we were wrapping up. So yeah, um, we've, we've been chatting for about an hour now. Um, so I think it's probably um, goodish time to wrap up. I'd say. I mean, is there anything in particular that you'd like to add on top of uh, anything we've discussed? Um, not really. All the stuff I wanted to talk about has pretty much been said. That's perfect. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'll put a link. Obviously, we're from the south of England, um, so Marwell is from down south. But what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll include a link to the, um, to Marwell and some of the sort of more information they do with the conservation and things. And then, yeah, hopefully down the line when you've, um, done a bit more falcon marine things in a, a couple of years or something, you can come back on and we can learn a lot more about sort of, uh, more about birds and things. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's been great to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Um, next week, I'm likely going to be releasing my episode with Frank of the Ragbag podcast. He talks about his podcast a little bit and what got him into podcasting. But he actually wanted to talk about um, his own epilepsy and his story of how he found out he he's epileptic. And um, there's a few misconceptions around epilepsy, especially involving people having seizures or strobe lights and things like that. So it's a real interesting podcast to learn about that. But um, yeah, all the when that comes out next week, obviously you can glance at the uh, the description of the episode and see if it sounds like something you fancy. And the weeks after that, I'm not really sure what order I'm going to release the episodes in that I've got recorded and I have got upcoming for recording, so we'll have to see about that. So I don't think there's really much else to add. Um, if you liked this episode with Belinda, um, be sure to check out a couple of the episodes I've done with her brother, Wayne. Um, he's a paleontologist, and I did a podcast with him and Josh a few weeks back, um, and I did one with him a couple of months ago about paleontology and his books, because he's an author as well. Um, so be sure to check those out. Um, as I said, his, his name is Wayne Telford. And that's about it, really. So, um, you know, be sure to like us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You know, on Instagram especially, I post more photos and more context to a lot of the episodes and stuff. So be sure to check that out. Um, subscribe to us on the usual podcast platforms if you really like what you hear and you want to hear some more varied, interesting and honest conversations. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. And, you know, review us on iTunes if you feel like it deserves it. You don't have to write a whole review. You can just, you know, give us the star rating that you feel like we deserve. If you feel like it's anything under a five star, maybe just uh, maybe just leave it till you've changed your mind. <laughs> um, obviously, I do appreciate honesty, so any criticism is welcomed. Um, but, yeah, I think that's about it. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys, and I'll talk to you all next week.